Well, tonight we are in a uh, quite an amazing chapter in 2 Kings chapter 11. I want to encourage you to turn there with me if you have a Bible. If you don't, you can just listen. When Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead, she arose and destroyed all the royal offspring. But Jehoshabah, the daughter of King Joram, sister of Ahaziah, took Joash, the son of Ahaziah, and stole him from among the king's sons who were being put to death, and placed him and his nurse in the bedroom. So they hid him from Athaliah, and he was not put to death. So he was hidden with her in the house of the Lord six years, while Athaliah was reigning over the land. Now in the seventh year, Jehoiada sent and brought the captains of hundreds of the Karaites and of the guard and brought them to him in the house of the Lord. And he made a covenant with them and put them under oath in the house of the Lord and showed them the king's son. He commanded them, saying, This is the thing that you shall do. One third of you who come in on the Sabbath and keep watch over the king's house, one third also shall be at the gate shore, and one third at the gate behind the guards, shall keep watch over the house for defense. Two parts of you, even all who go out on the Sabbath, shall also keep watch over the house of the Lord for the king. Then you shall surround the king, each with his weapons in his hand, And whoever comes within the ranks shall be put to death, and be with the king when he goes out and when he comes in. So the captains of hundreds did according to all that Jehoiada the priest commanded, and each one of them took his men who were to come in on the Sabbath with those who were to go out on the Sabbath and came to Jehoiada the priest. The priest gave to the captains of hundreds the spears and shields that had been David's which were in the house of the Lord. The guards stood each with his weapons in his hand from the right side of the house to the left side of the house by the altar and by the house around the king. Then he brought the king's son out and put the crown on him and gave him the testimony and they made him king and anointed him. And they clapped their hands and said, long live the king. When Athaliah heard the noise of the guard and of the people, She came to the people in the house of the Lord. She looked, and behold, the king was standing by the pillar, according to the custom, with the captains and the trumpeters beside the king, and all the people of the land rejoiced and blew trumpets. Then Athaliah tore her clothes and cried, Treason! Treason! And Jehoiada the priest commanded the captains of hundreds who were appointed over the army and said to them, Bring her out between the ranks, and whoever follows her put to death with the sword. For the priest said, let, not, let her not be put to death in the house of the Lord. So they seized her, and when she arrived at the horse's entrance of the king's house, she was put to death there. Then Jehoiada made a covenant between the Lord and the king and the people, that they would be the Lord's people also between the king and the people." All the people of the land went from the house, went to the house of Baal and tore it down. His altars and his images, they broke in pieces thoroughly and killed Matan, the priest of Baal, before the altars. And the priest appointed officers over the house of the Lord. He took the captains of hundreds and the Karaites and the guards and all the people of the land 
And they brought the king down from the house of the Lord and came by the way of the gate of the guards to the king's house. And he sat on the throne of the king's. So all the people of the land rejoiced and the city was quiet. For they had put Athaliah to death with the sword at the king's house. Jehoash was seven years old when he became king. Amen. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word, every portion of it. And in particular tonight, we thank you for this dramatic and encouraging word. We pray that your spirit would bless us tonight as we reflect and meditate upon this passage for a few moments together. We pray this, that you may be honored and your people may be renewed with hope. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. It's a remarkable chapter on at least several fronts. On one front, here we have the preservation of the promise of God, the preservation of the gospel promise. On the other hand, we have here recorded one of the relatively few revivals in Judah's history. These are not common. This is quite rare. And frankly, for a while in 2 Kings, it's been rather depressing Uh, There's been a lot of um, advance of the powers of evil. Uh, Times have been bleak. Yes, there have been uh, in Judah, in the south, kings like Jehoshaphat, who was a godly king. But even he blew it by allowing his son to marry the daughter of Ahab and Jezebel. Uh, Not very smart, and Jehoshaphat thought maybe at the time that that would, you know, politically give his people some quiet. But ultimately, Athaliah, who's a daughter of Ahab, ends up being just like Jezebel. Surprise, surprise. But I want you to see, first of all, for a moment, just to kind of get the context here. Let's go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. Keep your finger in 2 Kings chapter 11. But just go with me for to two passages briefly that you probably know well, and if you don't, you should know well. These are key moments in the story of God's redemption of mankind. Genesis chapter 3, God made a promise and his declaration of judgment upon Satan in verse 15 of Genesis 3, God said, I will put enmity between you, that is the serpent, and the woman, between your seed and her seed. Now right there is a seed of hope. There's this mysterious figure, this descendant of Eve. And God goes on to say, he, that is this descendant, whoever he is, shall bruise you on the head. In other words, it'll be a death blow to Satan and you shall bruise him on the heel. In other words, Satan will hurt him, wound him, but not overcome him. So right there at the beginning of the Bible, we have this mysterious gospel promise, this good news Right after all of humanity seems doomed to death, God places down, throws down his promise and puts it and plants it in the ground and the flag is flying. And you remember not soon, not, not long after that, uh, Cain kills Abel and it seems like the gospel promise is maybe not going to stand but God maintains his promise, doesn't he? And then I want you to turn now to 2 Samuel chapter 7. 
It was a while ago, we were in 2 Samuel, but this is another key uh, promise, gospel promise in the Old Testament scriptures. Don't let anyone ever tell you that the gospel is only found in the New Testament. Of course, it is fully realized in the New Testament, but the Bible is one word of God. 2 Samuel chapter 7, and there God uh, promised to David that God would give to David uh, a descendant. God says to David, verse 12 of chapter 7, when your days are complete, God speaking to David, and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your descendant or your seed after you who will come forth from you and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Go down to verse 16. Your house and your kingdom, God says to David, shall endure before me forever. Your throne shall be established forever. Wow. But here we are in 2 Kings chapter 11, and we've been going along, and we lose track of all the different names. There's a lot of Jeho-somethings, you know, Jehoshaphat, Jehoram, Jehu. There's even a Jehoshaphat in this, who's a woman in this text. See, we, we, we get lost in the names. We lose track of who's who, who's king of Israel, who's king of Judah, and our heads get a little bit confused. But just for big picture for a moment, we're down to only a handful at this moment in chapter 11 of actual descendants in the line of David. And we learn after Ahaziah, who was briefly king of Judah, after he dies in chapter 10 under the judgment of God, that Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah and also the daughter of wicked King Ahab, when she saw that her son Ahaziah was dead, she rose and destroyed all the royal offspring. Those are the royal offspring of Judah in the south, the kingdom of David. If verse 1 was just left there, we don't have the sermon this morning that I preached. There's no Christ. As Dale Ralph Davis says in his commentary, there's no Christmas. Because if there is no descendant of David alive after verse 1, God's gospel promise and his covenant promise to David that there would be a descendant and a seed, ultimately Jesus Christ, who would reign on the throne of the kingdom of God on earth forever, God's promise has failed. That's how, that's what's on the line in chapter 11. And so in verse 1, we learn that the promise, the gospel promise, is in danger. It is in danger. The gospel promise, from a human perspective, seems in danger. God made a very distinct promise to David. And here we are, we're down to a few if, and by the time Athalia is done, we learn in verse 2, we're down to one, one descendant of David left alive in the line. Amazing. And it is a reminder to us that this world is not friendly to Christ. It is not friendly to the gospel. It is not friendly to the people of God. It is not in, uh, don't look to the world to help to protect the gospel promise. 
And Satan is constantly working to undermine the gospel, to confuse people about the gospel, to infiltrate churches, and to confuse the gospel. On every front, God, there's a war on, there's a spiritual war. And in verse 1, it seems like the dark side is winning. The forces of evil, it seems like the gates of hell have the upper hand. Satan was successful in planting one of his best servants, Athaliah, daughter of Ahab, right in the heart of Judah. And when King Ahaziah in the line of David dies, Athaliah's there and she's waiting and she takes out anyone that she knows of that is possibly remotely related to the line. Why? Because she wants it. She wants the power. It seems that the gospel promise is in danger. The promise concerning a Messiah, a Christ, is in danger. But then we learn in verse 2 that this woman, Jehoshaphat, the daughter of King Joram, sister of Ahaziah, took Joash, the son of Ahaziah, and stole him from among the king's sons who were being put to death and placed him and his nurse in the bedroom. So they hid him from Athaliah, and he was not put to death. This is so moving. The, the sons of Ahaziah, any of the men, young men, doesn't matter age, Joash is an infant at this point, a little baby. All of them have been collected, and Athalia doesn't care what age they are. She just wants them all dead. They've been brought together. They might as well be in a room on their way, as it were, to the gas chamber. And God puts it in the heart of Jehoshaphat, a sister of Ahaziah, to act courageously. Now, there's another side theme here, and it's in line with the conference that 11 men from our church just attended at uh, Grace Community Church out in California. It was such a blessing for us a little over a week ago. And the theme of the conference was shepherding the remnant, the concept that God always has a remnant of his people, maybe small, maybe beleaguered, it may be little in the eyes of the world, sometimes even in the eyes of the professing church, but God always has a remnant of his people. And here you have a, a sample of that remnant. Jehoshaphat is part of that remnant, and then she is able to work in concert with another leader in the remnant, that is Jehoiada, the priest. And then there are some of these God-fearing, Yahweh-loving soldiers loyal to the house of David. The days are dark. It seems like evil has won. Athalia and most of the people have no idea that there's anyone breathing who's related to David. By all accounts, the line is extinguished. And for six-some years, it would seem that God, that Yahweh's promise to David, his covenant promise, has been broken. These are bleak days. 
Uh, Maybe people were rejoicing when they heard that Ahab and Jezebel, maybe the remnant was rejoicing when they heard that Jezebel was cast down and eaten by the dogs. And they rejoiced with that. But then they found out that they had a Jezebel take two in their own kingdom in the south in Judah. And she had slaughtered everyone in the house. Very, very discouraging. But even in those dark, dark, evil days, God had prepared his remnant to be stewards of the gospel promise. And I love it again here. Note it well, verse 2, that it's God uses a woman to preserve the line of the living. It's just another little theme here. Do you remember Eve is the one who gave in to Satan, believed the lie, and then fed it to Adam? So she, she is, you would think, the, the mother of the dead because it's through her believing the lie and then leading her husband into sin that the penalty of death and the curse comes on the earth. But what does Adam call her? He calls her Eve, mother of the living. And she was because she gave birth to a son and, and it was through her that that gospel promise was established. And here you have another woman, Jehosheba, who is preserver of the living. She rescues this little boy, little, little Joash, little baby rescues him from the clutches of this wicked, vile woman, Athalia. And in so doing, is really quite unique in the line of biblical redemptive history. The gospel promise, one breath away from being extinguished. And through her courage, her love, she not only rescues this little boy, but she's used of God in a remarkable way to carry on God's covenant promise to David and with it, the gospel. Again, if she doesn't do this, no descendant of David being born on what we call Christmas Day. No cross, no burial, no resurrection, because there would be no son of David, morning star, would that line would have been extinguished way back when. So the promise was in danger, but then the promise was protected, secondly, by the remnant. The promise was protected by the remnant. Not only by Jehoshaphat, but they hid him for six years, we learn in verse 3. Athalia was reigning over the land. Wicked Queen Athalia. She's a piece of work. And... and uh, in the seventh year, after those, in the seventh year, verse four, after those six awful years, Jehoiada, who is the priest, knows all along, and he's one of the few that knows that jo- Joash, this little boy, is alive. Can you imagine six years protecting this little boy? The, the trust that there had to be among the, the few that knew he was breathing, that he was alive? How did they keep quiet his cries? How, how, did, how did this, how were they able to preserve him and protect him from Athalia and her thugs? Mercy of God, the preservation of God. But God used this remnant led by 
Jehoshaphat, this woman, her courage, and then led by Jehoiada, 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 the priest. And he had with him the soldiers of the guard, and they were loyal, as I said, to the house of David. And he makes a covenant with them and reveals to them what they had not known. Can you imagine this moment? He brings in all these soldiers, and uh, these are men of valor, and they apparently are, again, loyal men. They, perhaps he knows that they see the wickedness of Queen Athalia. And in this moment, in private, he brings out to them this little seven-year-old boy. The king. Must have been an amazing moment. They sh- he showed him the king in the line of David. They probably bowed before him, professed their loyalty. And then Jehoiada has a plan. There's uh, several hundreds of these soldiers, it would seem, and they come and they have different shifts. And he divides up each of the shifts basically to protect Joash, the boy king, from Athalia and her evil co-workers. By the way, remember that Athalia was the one who was truly guilty of treason when she slaughtered the sons of Ahaziah. And so the scene unfolds, and you get it. I don't need to recount all of it. Uh, But again, the times were bleak. He had to divide up some of the weapons, um, even from from the temple, verse 10, some of the spears and shields that have been King David's. We're going back a few hundred years. This is this is not new equipment. Athalia maybe had seen fit that those who she doubted or suspected might not be loyal to her. She made sure that weapons were rather sparse and uh, that those who possibly could take her down were not well armed. And so Jehoiada has to even arm some of these loyalists with old weapons from David's time many, many, many years before. And so the day comes. And what a courageous moment. What a moving scene. They all fulfill their, the plan. Verse 11, they stood each with his weapons in his hand from the right side of the house to the left side of the house. The remnant is going to rise up and is going to protect, not only protect the the king, but advance the kingdom. They brought out the king's son, verse 12, and put the crown on him and gave him the testimony. That testimony likely was a copy of the law of God. These were God-fearing men and women. These were God-fearing soldiers. They knew enough of the law of God, the testimony of God, that God had commanded that when Israel appointed a king, that the king was to have a copy of the law. And the king was even to, at the beginning of his reign, to write down by hand a copy of the law and keep it with him the rest of his life so that he would remember to do it. All that a few of the kings of, of Israel and Judah had done that. So he has a copy of the testimony, the law, a copy of the law given by God through Moses to the people at Sinai. He is not just another wannabe king. He is the 
seed. He is in the line of the promise. He is the embodiment of God's ongoing gospel promise, ultimately embodied and fulfilled in Jesus. The boy is there, seven years old. They put a crown on his head, they give him the testimony, and they cry out, long live the king. Now, Athalia picks up on this, hears the noise, and she wonders what's going on. She may have been powerful, but she apparently wasn't very loved. Isn't that true in history as you look at those who are evil dictators and so forth? They seem so powerful in their moment of glory, but when it comes to their death, they're often abandoned by those even closest to them. Athalia hears the noise, shows up. She, in verse 14, shows a a fake show of remorse as if somehow she was the true queen. She has the audacity to cry out, treason, treason. And uh, nobody's giving in. Nobody's moving over with her. This is a move of God. I mean, we can point to Jehoiada's courage, to Jehoshaphat's courage, her courage, the courage of these men. But we have to understand that this, in this dark moment, when Israel is apostate in the north, Judah in the south has been under six years of the reign of Athaliah, daughter of Ahab. Things are so bleak. This is in this moment of weakness and utter despair, a movement of God. It's cause for joy. The people are rejoicing. Athalia might be crying. She might be pouting. But God's people are rejoicing. God has preserved this boy. God has now brought him forward. And God has prepared in a remnant those who will stand with the king, come what may. And Jehoiada, God has given to Jehoiada the priest, verse 15, such authority And it's so evident that he is on the side of God that when he commands the captains of the hundreds who were appointed over the army and tell them to lay hands on Athalia, bring her out between the ranks, they do. Wow. Takes courage. Takes courage and zeal. Notice that they don't treat, they treat Athalia with respect, but um, they're going to take care of this. Athalia is the embodiment of evil, of apostasy, of Baalism in Judah. And when God moves in his people, he raises up this boy king and he moves in the hearts of his people God puts within his people a zeal for the truth a zeal for holiness a zeal to follow through and root out visible forms of evil they're not going to have a compromise with Athalia they're not going to share power with Athalia Athalia needs to go and so these soldiers with courage put their hands on Athalia Bring her out, and the priest is very clear. Let her not be put to death in the house of the Lord. And he also says, whoever follows her is to be put to death. There's a clear line here. You are either for God, the one true and living God, or you are for the devil. There is no in-between. There is no compromise. There is no let's have a conversation with the world and see how well we can get along. This is, this is clarity. 
And fast forward to these days, we don't have swords. We are not to advance the kingdom of God with swords and, and weapons of, of mankind. But we are still in a spiritual war and we are wrestling not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities. And we need this kind of courage and we need this kind of clarity in our day. We are to be kind. We are to be gentle. We are to be forbearing. We are to be love our neighbors. Yes, 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 and amen. But when Athalia raises her head in the church of Jesus Christ, you take care of it, you remove her from the church, and you send her packing. The church needs that kind of backbone and that kind of moral fiber in our day. So they encourage surrounded the king put him forward crown him they rejoice that he's king they escort athalia out to her death to her demise but it doesn't stop there not only was the promise of god protected by the remnant not only was the promise of god's promise in the person of the king put forward by the people by the remnant but then lastly All the people, verse 18, went to the house of Baal and tore it down. His altars and his images, they broke in pieces thoroughly. They killed Matan, the priest of Baal, before the altars. And the priests appointed officers over the house of the Lord. Athalia had reasserted the false religion of Baal in the center of Jerusalem. Where'd she get that from? She's the daughter of Ahab. And not only were the people, the people were not only content to have Athalia extinguished, but this reveals that this was a revival. This was a concern, not just merely a politics, but this was a concern for the worship of God. And all the people of the land, this is how you know this is a revival. This is, this is a large-scale movement of the Spirit of God among people, his people in Judah And they're not only content with Athalia gone, they want Baal gone. And so they go to the house of Baal and they tore it down. Now this is is drastic. Don't miss this. This is very easy for us from a distance to say, well, of course you'd go to Baal. I mean, there's idols there. I mean, of course you would. I mean, this is is big. We are tested with this when standing for Christ and for the truth and for what's right costs us. Costs us relationships, costs us maybe business, costs us maybe as a church, financially, whatever the case may be. This is a costly revival. That house of Baal is probably pretty nice. There's probably people that spent a lot of time working on that. There's probably a lot of gold and so forth that could have been sold and used for good purposes. But when it comes to zeal for the Lord in this revival, they went to that house, they tore it down, and they broke it up in pieces. Notice verse 18, thoroughly, thoroughly. This is how we're to deal with our sin. We're not to be kind to it, pertaining to ourselves. We are to be brutal with it. It breaks our hearts as those who love Jesus that within our hearts there is capacity for idolatry and too often it's proven. 
were like Paul who said, wretched man that I am, who will set me free from this body of death. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. But the language there that Paul uses in Romans 7, notice is battle language, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We're to tear down the Baal altars, as it were, in our own hearts and to break it in pieces thoroughly. little lesson there for how we handle our own sin. They killed Batan, the priest of Baal. And then they reestablished the worship of God. And they put the king, this boy king, this descendant of David, in a position of, of honor at the gate, the gate where the king would sit. And after many years under the shadow of Athalia, once again, there was a descendant of David sitting on the throne, however young, however little, however seemingly weak and vulnerable, a little descendant of David sitting on the throne from whom and through whom ultimately there would be another little boy named Jesus who would also visit Jerusalem who would suffer, die, buried, but from Jerusalem rise to be enthroned. And make no mistake, that king who is now reigning at the right hand of God the Father on high, he's coming again. The descendant of David and the descendant of little Joash is coming again in fulfillment of God's gospel promise to sit on the throne of David and to rule and establish the kingdom of God on earth. Praise God. Dear, dear loved ones, uh, this world is very bleak. Um, with you, I, I, I can tend to be discouraged. I think I need to stop reading so much news. I, I like the Wall Street Journal, and, and it's... it's it's not sensational, but even that, I, need to be, I think I need to be a little careful. This world is uh, dark. We do need to be aware of what's going on. But in our being aware of what's going on, and even in the churches as we see so much brokenheartedness and chaos, we need to take heart. I hope you're encouraged from the text tonight by this revival that happened in Judah under the power of the Holy Spirit and God's preservation of his gospel And not merely his preservation of the gospel just by the sheer display of his power, but of the preservation of his gospel promise through his remnant. Do you think you have a place, Christian, in the plan of God? You say, I'm not preserving a descendant of David. Oh, but you don't know how you're being used, how you might be used to preserve and to carry on the gospel so that it's passed down to next generations until Jesus comes. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, it's been uh, such a rich day to meditate on your saving plan, culminating ultimately in your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for your faithfulness to your promises to Judah and Israel. And it's, it's such an encouragement to us that in spite of all of their 
foolishness and wandering that you maintain your covenant promise irrespective of the faithlessness of men. We are so encouraged that even when we are unfaithful, you remain faithful. What a God you are. We love you, Lord Jesus. We thank you for Jehoshaphat, this courageous woman, for Jehoiada, and we would only ask that perhaps we could be a little bit more like them in our generation. We ask it for Jesus' sake, for his honor, and for the proclamation of the gospel so that men and women around us worshiping the bales of this world might come to know the true king, love him as we do, and worship him with us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.